And we're going to start off with a video. We're going to um, be promoting Christmas for Christ. Amen. And so without further ado, Brother Ryan, if you could go ahead and crank that up if you can. You can also move Hello, this down. is Joe Hanthorne. It is my privilege to serve the Wisconsin District as North American Missions Director. I'm here today with Tim Vick, our Wisconsin District North American Missions Secretary, and we would like to wish you a Merry Christmas and take just a minute to talk to you about Christmas for Christ. CFC is an annual offering that began right here in the Wisconsin District more than 70 years ago. And this offering serves to advance the mission and the cause of church planting throughout North America. When we give to CFC, we're not just giving an offering. We're giving to invest in church planters. Men and women like Mike and Patty Adams, who pastor in Monaco. People like Ellery and Karen Campbell, who pastor in Hobotosa. Matt and Amy Ogie, Jeff and Jennifer Zimmerman. Steve and Chris Ann Durnford, and many, many others across our district. We're investing in men and women to fulfill the call of God on their life. When you give to Christmas for Christ, you're investing in these missionaries in many different ways. This last year, we gave $78,000 in Christmas for Christ grants. We were able to purchase lawn equipment, help a church purchase a 15-passenger van, help a church purchase chairs for their building, sound equipment for their church service. We invested in the missionaries by providing training mechanisms and funding in revival services where many received the gift of the Holy Ghost and were baptized in Jesus' name. When we give to CFC, we're not just giving to the church planners, but we're also giving to a city, to a community. And I can't think of a better gift we can give to any community than to give them the gift of a truth-preaching apostolic church. Cities like Beaver Dam, Portonville, Kenosha, Stoke, Crivets, Monaco, Wauwatosa, Evansville, Oshkosh, and many others. When you give to Christmas for Christ, you're helping us target cities for new works, new apostolic voices. Cities like Barrier, Franklin, Manitowoc, Menominee Falls, and Middleton, Platteville, and Whitefish Bay. Because of your giving, because of the CFC offering, there are souls in these communities that will be taught Bible studies, people that you and I may never meet, but because we were willing to invest, their lives are going to be forever changed. When we give to CFC, we're not just giving to church planners, and we're not just giving to a community, but more importantly, we're giving to Jesus. We are making a kingdom investment. We're saying that his mission matters to us. Recently, I read a survey that said that last year, people spent about $826 on Christmas. And this year, they're anticipating that the expected Christmas spending will exceed $900 billion. That's a lot of money to spend on Christmas. And I wonder how much of that is actually going to Jesus, to his passion, to his cause. And we'd like to ask you this year, would you put Jesus first on your Christmas list? Would you be willing to make the gift to him the priority in your Christmas giving? Your pastor will be providing more details on how you can give to Christmas for Christ. And so consider giving this year. God bless you and Merry Christmas. Praise, Praise the Lord. The Lord. Hallelujah. Does that sound okay? Okay. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Amen. 
In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whosoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring you liberal liberality unto Jerusalem. So what, what's that about? Well, they were the churches, the, the Gentile churches were helping other churches. Now we might not, they might not have been what we would call today a home missions church, but really in that day the churches weren't in a building like this. And they didn't rent a building somewhere and they didn't have a sound system and they didn't have all these things that we are so accustomed to in our church building. They just met in a house. And so they... You know, the, the Jewish church, after a while, they went through a lot of persecution, uh, the, the Jewish believers and others. And, the, and so the Gentile church had to jump in there and help them. And so really what we're doing is we're just basically, you know, the church is just one body, right? And it's like we're all trying to push the same vehicle down the road. We're all a part. We're all a part of the same thing, and so that's why Brother Hanthorn felt to talk about the the monies that have gone out. We're not. This is just not some nebulous thing that we're throwing our money into a hole and we don't we don't ever know what's going to happen with it. And um, you know, none of it's ours. What do you have right now that God didn't bless you with? You didn't heap it upon yourself. Every dollar you have in the bank, every piece of clothing you have in your closet, every vehicle that's in your driveway, the house you live in, every piece of furniture you sit on or sleep on, it came from Him. It all belongs to Him. We're just stewards of what He's blessed us with, including our finances. And if you read the New Testament very much, they uh, even in the book of Acts chapter 2, they said they parted all things to everyone as they had need. Nobody held on to, and said, this is mine, I'll give you this much, but I'm, not, I'm keeping this much. The ones that did do that, they carried them out one at a time. And an eyes and so so the church in the New Testament had a different concept of tithing than what we're used to. They believed that everything of theirs belonged to the Lord now. And if God said, give all of what you have to that family over there, they just did it. They didn't even think about it. They didn't even hesitate. And it never says this, but I just have to believe that God, when he asked them to do that, sell that property and give the entire amount to this, that God didn't just leave them out there hanging, homeless, hanging, without food, without anything. He took care of them. It doesn't specifically say that, but you just have to believe that that's true because the church continued to grow. 
and prosper in the midst of persecution. And so, you know, Brother Hanthorne, when we have our meetings, he talks about, he tells pastors, let the church give. This is your opportunity. You're not just giving to an offering. And you know offerings are above and beyond what your tithes are. You know that, right? So that's that's a, a free will thing, right? And so we have to listen to the Lord. We We hear this when it's time for faith promise service, but we have to listen to the Lord's voice. And God's going to tell you an amount to give. And just just do it. Just do it and see what God will do with that. And the beauty of this is we can see what God's doing with these offerings. We can readily see it. Mike Adams stood up here and talked about the blessings. They've had a church that they've purchased and done some things with since he spoke. Amen. And so God is just doing some things. And all we are doing is sowing seeds into the kingdom. If you all have a beautiful garden out back of your house, it didn't just get there, did it? You had to get your rototiller out and you had to till the ground up and you had to cut some rows and you had to put some seeds in the ground and put a fence up around it and you had to do a whole bunch of stuff to get it prepared for all that stuff to grow, right? You had to put the tomato plants in the ground. But you got a harvest out of that. It didn't look like much when you were done and your fence was up. It just looked like a bunch of rows of dirt. But when I was over there, it was like this massive garden. So that's what we're doing, folks. We're planting into the kingdom. There's somebody in one of these towns that you may not know that you know them, but they are going to walk into one of these churches that might not have been there had it not been for the North American Mission's efforts. And somebody's going to find Jesus. Some pastor went left Toledo, Ohio, and went to Okinawa, Japan, against the better judgment of all of his preacher friends and said, God's called me there, and I'm thankful to this day that that man didn't listen to his detractors and his naysaying friends, friends, and went there anyway because, thank God, he was there when me and that, where'd she go? When me and that lady back there showed up. And I wouldn't be in church today if that man hadn't been there. So we are, we are sending people by sending our money. It's just like missionaries in the foreign field. We're sending people out there and giving them, taking the, the pressure and the, and the stress off of being a new, new pastor in a new church. We're taking the pressure off just a little bit so that they can do what God has called them to do in that place. And God's going to get the glory. We're not doing this so that we can say, I gave, and name an amount. I took the $1,000 envelope. I took the, here, look, there's a $10,000 envelope down here for somebody. I didn't say somebody in this church, but there's a $10,000 envelope. And so we have the envelopes out here, and if you want to come right now, if you know which envelopes you want, Pastor said it's okay. Come right now if you want your envelopes. Why sit you there? <laughs> Come right on. If you want to get them later, that's fine. You can get them after service. But if my, my wife and I always do 
each an envelope of our what our age is. We've always done that since they started this, and so that's what we do. So the amount we give keeps going up <laughs> as long as we're alive. <laughs> but we don't want to ever cheat God. I, uh, if God if God told me to pick that ten thousand dollar envelope up, I'd have to pick it up, and I'd have to just say he if he's telling me to pick it up, he knows something I don't. So I'm just going to pick it up and do it. And if he said do it, I don't want to miss the blessing on the other side of that. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sister Becker, whenever you're ready. (laughs) I mean, we we have church while people at the altar, so let's. All right. While they're grabbing their envelopes, I just have a few announcements. Uh, First off, this is Thanksgiving week. And in light of that, we will not have a service on Wednesday. Uh, So everyone can have time getting ready to host or go to their family and friends. So please enjoy time with your family and friends this Thursday and Wednesday night. Also, the final opportunity to give to the Tupelo Children's Mansion, the $25 gift cards, will be December 3rd. Um, We want to get those out before Christmas so that they can be blessed. Also, December 9th, we will be having a Christmas party, and the DeMoose are going to host it at their house. If you need directions, please uh, get with them or with me. We can get you the directions. It's going to be at 2 p.m., and we do ask that you please RSVP, you know, and let them know how many people are coming. Uh, if you're going to bring one friend, two friends, ten friends, whatever, they're all welcome. Everyone's welcome. We just need to know so we can have plenty of food for them. Right? Amen. Also, we do have the new sign-up for 2024 cleaning of the church. It is in the back if you'd like to help with cleaning the church and keeping it Looking nice, uh, please sign up. Some have already taken some of the months, but there are a few left. Please don't miss out on a blessing. Hallelujah. Now, this is a time of thanksgiving, but our lives should be lived every day with a thankful and a grateful heart, right? Hallelujah. Thanks, thanks, I give you thanks. For all you've done, I am so blessed, my soul is at rest, oh Lord, I give you thanks, 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 I give you thanks for all you've done. I am so blessed. My soul is at rest. Oh Lord, I give you thanks. Thanks, thanks. I give you thanks for all you've 
done. I am so blessed. My soul is at rest. Oh, Lord, I give you thanks. Thanks, thanks. I give you thanks for all you've done. I am so blessed. My soul is found rest, oh Lord, I give you thanks. Yes, I give you thanks, Lord. Hallelujah. You are worthy, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. 
he hath made me glad. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I give you praise. Hallelujah. Lord, I give you such praise and glory and honor. Hallelujah, Jesus. Lord, for the joy and the peace that you bring. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am thankful. Thankful every day, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, that I can live a life full of joy, full of peace. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I have found his grace is all complete. He supplieth every need. While I sit and learn at Jesus' feet, I am free, yes, free indeed. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All the half has never yet been told. I have found the pleasure I once craved. It is joy and peace within. What a wondrous blessing I am saved from the awful gulf of sin. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of Glory, it is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All oh, the half has never yet been told. I have found that hope so bright and clear, living in the realm of grace. Oh, the Savior's presence is so near I can see his smiling face it is joy unspeakable and full of glory full of glory full of glory it is joy unspeakable and full of glory all the half has never yet been told. I have found the joy no tongue can tell, how its waves of glory roll. It is like a great overflowing well, springing up within my soul. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, 
full and full of glory. All the half has never yet been told. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory, full of glory, full of glory. It is joy unspeakable and full of glory. All the half has never yet been told. Praise God. He's worthy of worship, church. He's worthy of all praise. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. We give glory and honor unto the Most High God. We worship and we praise our King, our Creator, our Savior, our Redeemer, the Lover of our soul. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of all praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. We give all glory and honor unto You, the only one to whom glory and honor is due. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. What an awesome hope. What an awesome God we serve. We don't worship. We don't have a hope and a prayer, folks. I mean, we're not, we're not, we're not winging our way through this, fat fingering our way through this. This isn't something that, uh, this is, this is foundational truth. This is real. And to the extent that we accept that and start living it, that's the extent we're going to experience it. You know, there, there's all kinds of religions. There's all kinds of denominations. Even within Christianity, there's, there's hundreds of different Bible translations and, and dozens and dozens of different denominations. Which one is right? They all think they're right. I mean... The one that's right is the one that follows Scripture. The one that's right is the one that adheres to the first century church's doctrine. That's what? That's, that's real. That's right. And if, it's, if it doesn't follow that pattern, then we've we got to fix it. It's got to be fixed. It's got it's to come back in line with Scripture. And if we have that, folks... If that's what we have here, and I believe we do, then we have a hope that nobody else has. We have a power and an authority that nobody else has to live victoriously. Amen. And before I go any farther here, I you can be seated for just a second. I'm sorry. I don't want to take your time, Sister Rudy, but uh, I need to do this. I have I have uh, preached in times past that you know if if we're Christians and we uh, we believe Scripture and, and you know we're supposed to live victoriously, we should never be anxious or, or fearful or, or worry or anything like that, and I think that's true, but I don't know if I don't know if I explained myself quite properly there. Uh, I'm, I, my meaning is not to come across arrogantly or flippantly or dismissively. Okay, that, that's not my intention. I understand that, that people do experience those things. Uh, I have experienced those things. Okay, you have. We all have. But my point is that in Christ, 
in Christ, there is no worry. Because we understand that He has us in the palm of His hand. We understand that He is taking care of us. That He's fighting our battles for us. I'm not saying we don't ever experience those things. Uh, I experience a whole range of emotions. And you guys know how I love emotions. Uh, But we need to stick with Scripture. We need to stand on the promises contained in, in the Word of God. And if Jesus is living victoriously, even when I'm not feeling victorious, I am victorious. Because I'm standing on the covenant promises that He has given me. This covenant that He's established with me is powerful. It's powerful, folks. If we'll avail ourselves of it. We've got to avail ourselves of it. Amen. We've got to avail ourselves of the, the tools, the, the blessings, the benefits that He has provided for us. And if we'll do that and not sub them to the side because they're, I don't know if He'll do it for me or it's too hard to pursue or whatever it might be. It's so much easier to, to, to take a secular route. And it is. But we've got to stay in the book. And if we'll stay in the book, Folks, this, this is a whole lot more than just a different lifestyle. This is a whole lot more than a bunch of thou shalt and thou shalt nots. This is a whole lot more than uh, just coming to church on Sunday morning. It's a whole lot more, folks. It's, 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 it's transformative. We're new creatures in Him. With a whole new set of rules, a whole new set of abilities. I mean... When I come into the presence of God with the intent to worship Him, I'm recalling to my mind everything that He's delivered me from, everything that He's done for me, everything that He is. It's not a, it's not a chore to worship God. I know the Bible sometimes says bring the sacrifice of praise. And when we're tired in body, sometimes that's the case. I mean, we're... We are bringing a sacrifice of praise. It's a sacrifice to come to the house of God. It's a sacrifice to, to do those things that we know to do. But in my spirit, folks, I, I rejoice to do that. I, I want to. I need to do that because of what He's done for me. Because of who He is. And understanding all of that, when I come into His presence in worship and in praise, folks, worship, worship too is very powerful. It's it's this this isn't a, a Kiwana club. It's not a Boy Scouts thing. It's this is the Church of the Living God. It's and whether we meet in a building, at home, on the street corner, uh, wherever it might be, it's the Church of the Living God. The building, I think, is irrelevant, to Brother DeMuth's point. It's irrelevant where we're meeting. The point is that we are the body of Christ, and we're assembling ourselves together in the presence of God. Amen. God is powerful, and He's powerful in you. He's powerful in whatever situation you find yourself in right now. He's mighty. He's mighty to save if we'll avail ourselves of Him. 
if we'll avail ourselves of the promises He's given us, if we'll put our confidence in Him, He's mighty to save, folks. He's mighty to deliver. And He wants to do that. Amen. So if I've, if I've come across flippantly or, or, or that, that wasn't my intention. I just, I just want us to understand who we are and what God wants to do in us. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome our, our visitor this morning. And I will probably almost certainly get this wrong. And I apologize. Um, uh, Shake? Sana? Sana. Okay. Sana. That's a Y. Okay. I can't read my own handwriting. So. I, I, I do better with other people's handwriting. <laughs> Sana. Thank you so much for being with us today. Amen. Your three lovely children. Praise God. She was doing such a good job with those kids the first service. I was, I was just uh, looking back there. I was so impressed. <laughs> so patient. Amen. They are a handful. <laughs> but they are they're beautiful. I love hearing, I love hearing the, the voices of, of children in our services. Amen. So God bless you. If you need anything, please let our, our officers know and we'll, we'll get that taken care of for you. Amen. Let's all stand. Sister Rudy, if you'd come to the platform. And while she's coming, let's lift our hands, our hearts, our voices one more time. Let's thank the Lord Jesus Christ for His faithfulness, for His covenant promises, and for all He desires to do here today. Praise God. Lord Jesus, we worship You. Thank You, Jesus, for Your mercy and Your grace. Thank You for Your loving kindness. There's none like You in all the earth. We give You the glory. We give You the honor. We give You the praise. Because it's You and You alone that can heal, that can save, that can deliver, and can make whole. And we thank you, O God, that you have sent your angels to minister and to do battle. We give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. We magnify your name because there is none like Jesus in all the earth. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We bless your name. You may be seated. Well, thank you for that, Brother Becker, because it kind of goes with what I've been, what God has laid on my heart. And the title of my message today is Touching, Touching the Heart of God. What touches the heart of God? So today, the first scripture we're going to go to is Jonah 1, 7 through 17. Familiar stories they are. But perhaps God has something different in mind to speak to your heart about today. So Jonah 7, 1 verse 7 says, And they said every one to his fellow, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So that they cast lots, and the lots fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, Tell us, we pray thee, for who... Whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country, and of what people art thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? 
For men, the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was temptuous. And he said unto them, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea, so shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode the harder to bring it to the land, but they could not, for the sea wrought and was temptuous against them. Wherefore they cried unto the Lord and said, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee. Let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done it as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, cast him forth into the sea. The sea ceased from the raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord, and made vows. And the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in, in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah was running from God. God had told Jonah that he wanted him to, to go to the great city of Nineveh and to speak repentance to them, that God might spare this wicked city. So this wicked city had touched the heart of God. Their sinfulness, their wickedness had touched God's heart. And he knew, according to his word, that he would have to destroy them if they would not repent. Now we think, well, if God told me to do something, certainly I'd do it. But let's talk about what Nineveh was like and why did Jonah run. Nahum speaks about the Assyrian army. It was one of the most effective armies of that day. They had charioteers. The chariots could carry from two to four men in one chariot. They were skilled with bow and sword. They were feared. One Assyrian king boasted about ripping out the tongues of the blasphemers. You see, they worshipped Dagon. That was their god. He was half man and half fish. His upper body was a man's body. His lower body was a fish's. And if you didn't worship that god, they would slay you. The Assyrians would smash people under statues, slice their bodies into chunks for meat for the animals. They used torture and manipulation as political tactics against their enemies to bring them under control, to bring fear. Isn't that the tactic of our enemy, to bring fear? He uses every weapon he has in his arsenal to come against us. But God is greater than all that. I read that there were at least 120,000 citizens. The Bible says that there were 60,000 citizens in that city at the time. But Nineveh was the capital of the Syrian army. That was where they trained their soldiers. At any given time, there were soldiers that were being equipped and trained in military, and they were being dispatched from there. At this time, though, Assyria, the Assyrians were experiencing a famine. 
So God was already dealing with them. So let's bring it to present day to really understand what God was asking of Jonah. Say you are a Jew and you live in Israel. And the Lord is asking you to go to the camp of the Hamas and to to preach repentance unto them. Because we know what they have inflicted upon the Israelite people. We know recently what they have done, the torture, the trauma, the slaying of innocents. That's what God was asking of Jonah. No wonder he was running. Would we run to the Hamas, to their camp, and preach Christ to them? So he was trying to flee from the presence of God. But what we all know is you can never run from God, nor can you flee from his presence. He will pursue you. He will overtake you. And so he prepared for Jonah a great fish. Now in our minds, a lot of times, this is what we think the fish was like for Jonah. He could see. He was comfortable. It took him three days to figure it out. But that's not what it was like. God prepared this fish for him. He did have oxygen to breathe, which he shouldn't have had. But it was dark. It was so dark in the belly of that fish that he couldn't see the hand in front of him. Think about being in a fish for three days and not being able to see. No light, pure darkness. Not only that, but it says that the weeds wrapped around his head. It says it was like he was going to the top of the mountains and then down below again. It was a rough ride. It was an unpleasant ride. The water was sloshing about him. If he was in the stomach of that great fish, it was smelling like vomit. It wasn't comfortable. There wasn't light. There wasn't a chair and a book to read. But it took him three days before he came to himself and he realized God had prepared this fish for him. Perhaps in the beginning he thought, how long will it be before I perish? But God was squeezing him. If he was in the stomach of that well, if he was being squeezed by those intestines, God was putting the pressure on him. And finally he turned, it says he turned his face to to Jerusalem. How he could do that in that fish, I don't know, but it said he did. And he began to pray, and he repented. Jonah said to the Lord, I knew that thou art a gracious God. You're merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness. And it repents thee of thy evil. So Jonah, he knew that if he went to Nineveh, and they repented, that the heart of God would be touched, and he would withdraw what he was going to do. That's why Nona was... That's why he was sending Jonah there to preach to them so that perhaps they would repent and then God would not have to destroy them because God told Jonah all these people and all these cattle, it wasn't pleasant to God to think that he would have to destroy them. So Jonah knew God's heart and that's why he ran because he knew they did deserve it. Of all the people, They were so wicked and cruel. 
They would peel the flesh off people. They would burn them alive. He knew that they deserved what God was going to give them. And that's why he ran, because he didn't want to see this wicked nation that had already come up against Israel to find repentance, to find grace in the sight of God. That's why he ran. But God got a hold of his heart. And Jonah touched the heart of God through repentance. Nineveh touched the heart of God through wickedness. But Jonah, he touched the heart of God through repentance. And because God is faithful, (coughs) he chose Jonah. He didn't want anybody else. He wanted Jonah. (coughs) Excuse me. And Jonah went and he preached three days. took him three days to go through that city. and And he said, in 40 days, If you do not repent, God will destroy the city. And God had mercy on that city because repentance did touch the heart of God. Now we're going to go to 2 Corinthians, or not 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles 32, verses 7 through 8. This is Hezekiah speaking to the people of Israel. He said, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. And with him is an army of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us to fight our battles, And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. You see, years later, the Assyrian army had surrounded Jerusalem. They were coming against the Israelites again. They had already defeated some of the cities. And now they were coming against the capital. But they just didn't come. They brought an army. You see, King Sennacherib, he came, he entered in, he encamped about the city, and he brought fear to the people of God. But Hezekiah was reminding them who was going to fight for them, who was on their side, and who would deliver them. Let's go to Second Chronicles 32, 10 through 20. Thus saith Sennacherib, king of Assyria, Whereon do you trust that you abide in the siege in Jerusalem? Doth not Hezekiah persuade you to give over yourselves to die by famine, by thirst, saying, The Lord our God shall deliver us out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Hath not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, saying, You shall worship before one altar and burn incense upon it? Know you not what I and my fathers have done unto all the people of other lands? Were the goods of the nations of those lands any way, the gods of those nations of those lands in any way, able to deliver their land out of my hand, 
Who was there among all the gods of those nations that my father utterly destroyed, that could deliver his people out of mine hand, that your God should be able to deliver you out of my hand? Now therefore, let not Hezekiah deceive you, nor persuade you on this manner, neither yet believe him, for no God of any nation or kingdom was able to deliver his people out of my hand. And out of the hand of my fathers, how much less shall your God deliver you out of my hand? And his servant spake yet more against the Lord God and against his servant Hezekiah. He wrote also letters to rail on the Lord God of Israel, to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of other lands have not delivered their people out of mine hand, so shall not the God of Hezekiah deliver his people out of my hand. Then they cried with a loud voice in the Jewish speech unto the people of Jerusalem that were on the wall to frighten them, to trouble them, that they might take the city. And they spake against the God of Jerusalem as against the gods of the people of the earth, which were the work of the hands of man. And for this cause, Hezekiah the king and the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, prayed and cried to heaven. So Sennacherib wrote a letter, and he had his men read it over and over and over so that the people in the city could hear. And he was speaking truth. Truly they had conquered other nations, and no other nation None of those other gods were able to deliver them out of his hand. But he was railing against the living God. And Hezekiah said, speak not a word, answer not a word to them. Don't answer them. Don't rebuke them. Don't answer them. Because he knew that if they were going to be delivered, it was only going to be by the hand of God. It was not going to be by the hand of a man. When railing acquisition, ac- when railings come against you, when the enemy comes against you, when he tells you lies, don't believe it. Because the living God is stronger, more powerful, is able to deliver and to make whole. His heart will be touched, but you have to do something. So what did Hezekiah do when he received this letter? Let's go to first, Second Kings nineteen fourteen through nine. And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers, and he read it. And Hezekiah went into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwelleth between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow thou thy ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, that hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord, The kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations in their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord God, 
I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou alone. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, That which thou hast prayed to me against Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. The virgin daughter of Zion hath despised thee and laughed thee to scorn. The daughter of Jerusalem hath shaken her head at thee. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed against? Whom hast thou exalted? Who has lifted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes high, even against the Holy One of Israel? So God sent Isaiah to tell them that he was going to deliver them, that they were not to be afraid. Because Hezekiah came before him, he knew that God was his only hope. Where else could he go? He didn't have the army to fight him. It says in 2 Kings 19, 33-36, this is what God answers. And he tells Hezekiah, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what he did. By the way that he came by, the same shall he return, and shall not come into the city, saith the Lord. For I will defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred, fourscore, five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were dead corpses. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt in Nineveh. There were 185,000 soldiers surrounding that city. And as my husband brought it to my focus, that would be more than three three times the amount of the population of La Crosse. What if you got up in the morning and all of La Crosse was laying dead? There was no army that came to save them. I doubt that they heard. It was the angel of the Lord that passed through that camp and smote them. It was quiet. Think of all those corpses laying there. Who could have argued and said that it was not by the hand of God? Because because Hezekiah went and touched the heart of God. It was true. Everything that Sennacherib had said, it was true. Sometimes the enemy comes with us. Partial truths. Not all the truth. But we take it on and we take it as our own truth. And it's not God's truth. We need to know what God's truth is. The only way you can know what God's truth is, is to know him. To know his word. And then to take him at it. Hezekiah didn't fear. He didn't raise up an army. He didn't look for Egypt to come and rescue him. He believed what the word of the Lord said. And in the next morning, when he got up, he saw that the enemy was defeated. And when this happened, Sennacherib, he went shame-faced back home. He went into his temple to worship his God. And two of his sons, they slayed him. 
they killed him because they were ashamed because he did not have the victory. But what they didn't understand was that the living God, the true God, had taken matters into his own hands. And can we go to Luke 8, 40 through 48? And it came to pass that when Jesus was returned, the people gladly received him, and they were all waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age. She lay a-dying, but as he went, the people thronged him. And a woman, having issue an issue of blood for 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, never could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, and Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. You see, that woman had spent all her living. Nobody could help her. Jesus had just returned, and the multitude was waiting for him. And the ruler of the synagogue, very important man, the ruler of a synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. And they all stopped to hear what Jairus was going to say. And perhaps some of them knew that his daughter was ill. But this woman, she knew she had one chance. This was her one last chance. And she didn't care. She pushed forward. She didn't have to call his name. She didn't have to call attention to herself. In fact, she didn't want attention to herself because she was unclean and she should not have been in that crowd and she should not have touched Jesus. But she did it anyway. She pushed forward. She touched him and she was healed. And she was going to go her way and nobody would have known, but Jesus knew. She had touched him because she stepped out by faith, knowing that if she could only touch him, he did not need to know. She did not have to tell her story. He required it of her, but she didn't have to tell it. All she knew was that she needed to touch him. You see, Jesus had just come. And he had just healed the man, the Gadarean, that was in. He was in the tombs. He couldn't be chained. They couldn't keep clothes on him. They were afraid of him. And Jesus, he healed him in an instant. And that man wanted to come and follow Jesus. But Jesus said, you go and you tell others what I have done for you. He had just returned from doing that. Did these people know? I doubt it. But there was a woman in that crowd who knew, if I can just touch him. You see, it takes effort on our part. Different things touch the heart of God. But you've got to be willing. You've got to step out and say, I am going to touch Jesus no matter what. I don't care what others say. I don't care what others think. I'm going to touch him because he's the one that has every answer. 
He has every answer to every need. If you need healing, we have oil. We have elders that can pray. If you need deliverance, we have brothers and sisters that will pray for you. But you know what you have to do? You have to step out by faith. When I came into this, it wasn't a question of whether we were going to come to the altar and pray. It was a given. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, it was a given. We came and we laid it before the Lord. The young and the old, we all came. But you've got to believe that he's willing, that he's there. He's here. I remember hearing a story by Lee Stone King. And if you want to stand, I'm almost done. There was a woman that had her neighbor's little girl. I don't think she was even five years old, had drowned in a pool. She heard the screaming. She saw the ambulance come. And they revived the girl, but she wasn't made whole. She was in the hospital, and they didn't know if she would make it or not. So this woman went to Lee Stone King's church, and she asked, Will you go? Will you pray for that little girl? And he said, Yes. And as he was in the halls of that hospital, he began to sing an old song. He began to sing, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Tell him what you need. I'm here to tell you that Jesus is here. He just wants to know what is your need. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly greater than that which we ask or think. In ways that we do not know and cannot see. When I was in, when I was doing some home care, I took care of a lady. I could tell that she was on her deathbed. And uh, I was only there three weeks. The fourth week she passed. But the last week I was there, she was in dire straits. And she didn't like to take medication. And she was in a lot of pain. She had been battling cancer for six years. And I was just texting my husband because I was overwrought because they weren't bringing in hospice. And her husband was in denial. And she, she just needed some peace and some relief. And he said, you need to go lay your hands on her. And I thought, that's what I need to do. So we were in her back bedroom. And I, uh, the only relief that she could get was if I would rub her back. So I was rubbing her back. And I was deep in prayer. And I was just praying for her and not looking at her, just praying and interceding for her. And I felt this hand on my shoulder. And before I looked up, I just thought, well, her husband came into the room. And I looked, and there was nobody there or nobody that I could see. And I looked at Roberta, and she was looking at me smiling. But Roberta saw something that I could not see. You see, I didn't know until either that evening or the next evening. I suspected that that family was Jewish, but I wasn't for sure. And I was talking to her sister. It was the one of the last times I was going to be there. And her sister told me how distraught Roberta's husband was. And I said, oh? And she said, yes. Because Roberta was asking him, who is Jesus? She wanted to know more about Jesus. Because they were Jewish, he was distraught. You see, God knew in that moment, I don't know whatever became of that. 
I only know that because I was obedient, because the Lord used my husband to say, go pray for her, lay your hands on her, that she saw something I could not see. She touched God. He's touched. So I'm just going to ask you, if you feel like you need a touch from God today, will you just take that first step and come forward? You see, he asks something of us. He requires something of us. So you can come or pray where you are, but don't leave without touching the hem of his garment today because he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities.
Let's continue to pray. Jesus didn't die on a cross to form a new organization or a new denomination. He came to establish His church. When that church binds together, that body of believers binds together and enters into the presence of God, His heart is most certainly touched. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Whatever it is that we're facing, whatever difficulties we we face or endure, He understands. He knows. And He's waiting for us to bring those things to Him. We're not supposed to be carrying a lot of these things that we carry around with us. We're not supposed to be hauling around all this baggage and junk. He asks us again this morning to give that to Him. Fear is uncertainty for the future. Anxious for things present or things to come. He wants us to give those things over to Him. into his throne room today. Touch the hem of his garment. Touch the heart of God. You're not bothering him. He won't be frustrated or upset if you show up. He wants you. He's invited you to come. You don't know what I've done. You don't know who I am. That's true. But God does. And He's invited you anyway. He wants us anyway. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Hezekiah responded properly to an impossible situation. He trusted in God. He brought it before the Lord. He stretched it out before the Lord. Because in God's eyes, when the enemy comes against us, he comes against him. When Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus didn't ask him, why are you persecuting my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? He takes those things personally. And that's because of who you are. You are His son. You are His daughter. You are called by His name.
powerful revelation of truth it, it is when we begin to understand that yes one time I was a long ways off now I am drawn nigh by the blood of Christ given us His name. We're called by His name. And He loves each of you so much. He wants the best for you. The very best. continue to trust in Him. Sister Rudy said, when we face these situations, let's bring it before God. Let's trust that He'll take care of these things for us. Because He wants to. So desperately, He wants to show Himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward Him. He does. If we just give Him an opportunity, give Him a a chance. Amen. I don't know what He wants to do in your life in particular, but I know it's awesome. I know it's more awesome than I could imagine, than you can imagine more than I could ask or even think. Amen. We serve a wonderful, wonderful God. And He is not like the other gods that other people serve. He is the living God. Other people's gods are defeated, and rightly so, but not ours. Ours is victorious. He is alive forevermore. Praise God. I am so thankful for what He's done in my life. Amen. He has been so good to me. So good. Praise God. Sturdy, thank you. Lord Jesus, we worship You. We praise You. We are so thankful for You, this message that You have delivered unto us through Your servant. I pray in Jesus' name that in obedient faith we would submit ourselves unto You to accomplish the Word of the Lord in our midst here today. That we would bring every situation to You, every circumstance. That we would spread it out in Your presence. And that we would trust in You, the Lord Most High, the Lord who reigns on high, to take care of these things for us. You have promised us, Thou Most High God, that You would take care of these things for us. Hallelujah. Thank You, thank You, thank You, thank You for fighting our battles, for providing all of our needs, for healing all of our diseases, for saving our souls. Thank You, Jesus. As we go our separate ways, be with us.
I pray that your people would be blessed. Bring us back to your house at the day appointed. Let your name be glorified in us and through us. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so very much. God bless you. Remember, there is no service this Wednesday. Please enjoy time with family and friends. Tuesday, we are having prayer at 7 o'clock. Yes, there is, there is Tuesday prayer at 7 o'clock. Uh, those of you that are in town, please come. Amen. And let's touch the heart of God. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.